Welcome, Whitewater. Good morning. You guys doing all right? You guys are a little bit more awake than the other service. That's good. The other ones were like, good morning. <laughs> it's like a little delayed, but so good to see you guys. Um, we had the walk-off this week. It was so awesome. Uh, I saw a lot of you guys there, and uh, maybe some of you guys just decided to hoard your guacamole and not come. Uh, that's why I'm choosing to believe about you if you weren't there, you guacamole hoarder. But um, it was so cool. We had live music. We had, uh, you know, we've got incredible musicians that were playing. It was so amazing. Uh, there were lights strong in Michael's backyard. It, it just had such a fun vibe. All this guacamole and just different varieties. There was even one with peanut butter and jelly mixed in. Um, it made someone go blind. But other than that, it was great. Um, Maybe something else in there then, but it, uh, it was so fun. Michael had uh, incense. Michael's a very like, sensory-oriented person. Uh, he's the guy who leads worship. He was doing announcements here, and, and he was the host, and he did such a good job. But he had like, these incense things around to like, create a, the ambiance and smell and aroma um, of Michael, and it was, uh, it was amazing. And I had neighbor, a neighbor who came, and she was like, I smelled the place before I saw it. I was like, where is this? And she was like... She's like, what is that smell? And came, and I, she, she was with me with Michael and a few others, and, and, and they were like, what, what is that incense? And he's like, it's just incense. They're like, it's not, this isn't like a drug party or anything like that. And uh, Michael's like, no, it's resin from this really strange tree, and it has this really you know, amazing smoke. And I'm like, Mike, just because it's from a tree doesn't mean it's not drugs, bro. And he was like... And then walked off with his incense. So it was, uh, it was so fun, man. It was just fantastic. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Whitewater and the Summer of Party. We want this to be a place you can belong before you believe, meaning that you can move forward in your, journey, in your journey of faith at your own pace. You don't have to believe what we do to be here. We're just so glad you're here. We want to help you move forward. Um, our theme verse has been this verse in this series, the Summer of Party. Um, by the way, since we've been doing this, we've noticed there's a lot more Washington State alum that's been coming to the Summer of Party and Arizona State. I don't know why. Um, that's just an aside. Matthew, there was an Arizona State guy here earlier. He's like, you know I'm here. I'm like, why? He's like, Summer of Party. And I was like, oh, that's not quite what we mean, but I'm glad you're here. Um, Matthew 11 says this, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, and sinners. Um, Jesus comes to the world unexpectedly in an unexpected way, and the world doesn't know how to deal with it. He's hanging with sinners. And the, uh, the religious elite, social elite, the ones who are the somebodies, see him hanging out with the nobodies, and they're like, what, does, what is he doing? Who does he think he is? And they're frustrated. Why are you hanging out with these sinners? And, and in this really powerful moment at a party, Jesus says, I came to heal the sick, not to be with the, with the well, not be with people who think that they're well and everything's fine. I came to seek and save the lost. He also says uh, later in the book of Luke, um, Jesus came for them. It was a declaration for those of us who aren't perfect and might not be at the top of every social ladder, economic ladder, uh, religious ladder. We might be somewhere in between or maybe even at the bottom uh, Jesus is saying in that declaration that he came here for you, that he came here for me. 
And I just think that's so powerful. So Jesus is willing to, to take on the label of a drunkard and a glutton. He wasn't a drunk. He wasn't a glutton. But he was willing to take on that reputation, to take on that label, so that he could help people, that he could heal people. Um, he never sinned and he never condoned sinning while hanging out with sinners. But he was always in the, in the midst of the party, so filled with joy, so like... Um, there's just something that drew people to him. Isn't there something about Jesus? And, I, and you might not agree with church or agree with religion or, or even find yourself a person who believes, but can we all agree there's something compelling about the life of Jesus? And at the heart of his ministry was this ancient art of hospitality. In Romans 12, 13, it says, Share with the saints in their, need, in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Pursue hospitality. Like there's something in hospitality where we are meeting other people's needs, where there's this spiritual thing going on. Jesus was, one of the things he was doing with his disciples and with the world was teaching them this this spirituality, this art, this practice of hospitality. And I want to go through a story that really that talks about the power of hospitality and how hospitality changes our lives if we let it. But in this story, it's kind of like this discovery process. So if you would, just start with this story with me. And as we go through it, the, the, the hospitality and the art of hospitality will, I think, reveal itself. So starting in Luke chapter 24 in verse 13, it says this, Now that same day, two of them, two disciples of Jesus, were on their way to a village called Emmaus. Now Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're on their way. It's a seven-mile journey. And together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing, while they were discussing, they're on this journey. Have you ever been on a journey with someone? Like walking, running, driving, and having a discussion? Like, don't some of the most powerful, like, debates, the most powerful, like, discussions and discovery happen, like, on a journey when you're talking with somebody? Well, they're on this journey, and they're having this conversation, and it says, while they were discussing and arguing, so there's tension. While they're arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Jesus starts walking with these disciples of his. But it says, it says, they were prevented from recognizing him. Um, in the original language, it says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing, from seeing them, from seeing Jesus and recognizing him. Have you ever known somebody, known them pretty well, but then when you saw them in another context, in a totally different context, you didn't recognize them? Has that ever happened to you? You're like, oh, I feel like I know that person, but you're like, can't place them. And they're like, oh, it's Katie. It's your sister. Oh, hey, Katie. You know, you recognize them or... Like, oh, you're here, Katie. It's good to see you. My sister's here. Um, glad to recognize you. Um, but they don't recognize Jesus. They can't. They just don't see him. So the question in this, why is it that Jesus' disciples don't see him? What's preventing them from seeing him? Well, let's keep moving. Then Jesus asked them, what is this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? So there, it's getting so tense. I'm sure maybe none of you guys have ever gotten this tense on a drive to church or drive with your spouse or your loved ones that gets real intense. But Jesus, it's so obvious, it's so like loud that Jesus can come up and say, hey, I'm, uh, what are you guys fighting about? What are you guys arguing about? And uh, I, I think this is so fascinating. 
they, they, they look at him and it, it says this, uh, you know, what are you fighting about? What are you disputing about? And it says they stopped walking and looked discouraged. What things, or excuse me, they say the one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here these days? Are you the only person? Because if you remember where we are in the story of Jesus in the Gospels, it's in Luke 24, so it's the end of the story. Um, Cleopas and all the other disciples are at a point of hopelessness. They've lost their Lord and Savior, and this is the end of the story, and it's like they're discouraged, they're frustrated, and, and, and this guy comes up and says, so what are you guys discouraged about? Well, if you heard us arguing... And if you're the only person in Jerusalem that, that hasn't been talking to anyone, uh, then you must not know the news that everybody should know. And I love that they say to Jesus, don't you know what's going on? And Jesus, their Lord and Savior, who they don't recognize, is standing in front of them. I can see with just a little bit of a smile. The one who knows everything, <laughs> experienced everything firsthand, knows what's really gone on, is looking at them. He's like, no, tell me what's really happened. You tell me what I'm missing with a little bit of a smile. And so his disciples begin telling him. What things, he asked them, so they say to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and in speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. They're saying, like, the, our spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, they handed Jesus over, who was doing mighty things, and was a good man and a, and a prophet. He was doing incredible stuff. God's hand was on him. He was handed over by our own religious leaders to be murdered by the Romans. Like, you haven't heard about this? This is what's happened. And they say, on top of this, you know, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was the Messiah. We were hoping he was the Son of God. We were hoping he was the one who was going to free us all and forgive us all and change our lives. But he was crucified. And on top of this, moreover, it's the third day since these things have happened. Some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they hadn't seen, they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were there, who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, you know, they didn't see him. So what they're kind of hinting at here is like, they've lost their hope, they've lost the Messiah, the, the, their leader, they're hopeless, they're disappointed, like frustrated, angry, hurt, lost. And on top of it all, like there's these women that have been disciples that, that have come in and said, now his body can't be found and he's, he's back. They had this vision uh, where angels told him that he'd be back and other disciples went and they confirmed that. But in their minds in this day and age, like women, a lot of women were seen as property and women's, uh, their testimony wouldn't even hold up in court. And so like these women have told us this story and we don't know whether to believe it even though the women in this story have been with Jesus as long as them, even though the women in this story have persevered through harder things, even though the women in this story have been as faithful, if not more faithful, than many of the disciples, and, the, and they're doubting, though they're like, well, you know, the women's story wouldn't hold up in court, so we don't really know what to make of it. They're just, they've given up. 
So when Jesus says, why are you arguing? And they're walking along and the stranger comes up to him who they can't recognize. They're walking. When he asks that question, what does it say they do? They stop walking. And they look disappointed. Some of you guys here today have a little bit of that look with life. Like, I don't know if it's because someone asks you a tough question or you're thinking through some heavy things, but some of you, like, have been slowing down. And some of you guys have even stopped walking. You've stopped your journey of faith. You've stopped, like, with maybe some hopeful things, some dreams that you've had in your life, and you've stopped walking. And you look disappointed. And I feel like many of us, or maybe some of us, can relate to the disciples where everything we thought about our faith or everything we thought about our life and the trajectory and the story is supposed to end this way. But, but, but they're at a point where they're like, we've lost everything. This doesn't make sense. And some of us here have stopped walking because our, our faith is harder than we thought it was or like the story isn't ending up how we wanted it to or we've, got, we've experienced great loss. And so we've stopped walking. Or we've experienced great hurt. So we've stopped walking. Life hasn't turned out the way we wanted, so we've stopped walking. And if we're honest, we're disappointed. We're hurt. We're frustrated. Maybe some of you who have come from a faith background, you've stopped walking because when you're looking at your life and you're looking at this whole thing like the disciples were, you don't see Jesus at all. You're having a hard time like knowing, feeling, and seeing God's presence at work. And because of that, it's hard to see like that there's any grand purpose in this all because right now I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed. And so I've stopped walking. And what I want to talk to you guys today is how to get back walking. And in this story, Jesus is teaching us, the theology of Luke is teaching us how to get back walking again. How to get back our hope. How to like walk through the disappointment. Not a fake, like, you know, like that sugary, sweet, fake, oh, it's all going to be fine, and those platitudes, and life's great when life is terrible. This is I'm, what Jesus is teaching us is how to recognize when things are horrible. But the story's not over till it's over. You with me? So we're going we're gonna to find out how to keep walking the rest of this passage. So let's keep, let's keep moving through this. He says, um, Jesus looks at them in their disappointment when they've stopped walking. He says this, How foolish and slow of heart you are to believe all that the, the, all the prophets have spoken. How foolish you are, or how foolish and slow of heart in the original language, how slow of heart you are. Jesus doesn't like, you know, oh, I'm so sorry, and I feel really bad for you. I mean, he's just been on a cross, right? You know, and he, he just had to be humiliated in front of the world. And he knows that what they need and what they can handle is some truth. And he says, you are being foolish and slow of heart. Can you imagine, like, if, if you stopped walking, you're upset, you're hurting, and someone says that to you, how would you feel? You see the disciples bristling a little bit. It's like, you foolish, slow of heart people, what are you thinking? You're, you're so slow to believe the actual scriptures, the actual, what the prophets have said. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, don't you know what God has written, what he's said? 
And you can see the disciples kind of bristling. And then Jesus began walking with them. He's like, come with me. Let's talk about this. And Jesus, it says, says this. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, like at the beginning of the Old Testament, and all the prophets and all the scriptures, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of scriptures. So Jesus starts pointing back to the holy scriptures and saying like, remember what the prophet said here? And remember what the Bible says here about me? Remember Isaiah when it talks about the suffering servant? That's about me. And, and scriptures that were written hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus had come. And Jesus begins like interpreting his life their predicament, their situation, their hopeless, hopelessness, he interprets it in light of Scripture. And what he's saying is you've forgotten the words of God. You've forgotten what the prophets have said. Didn't all these things need to happen? Didn't I need to go to the cross? They don't know it's Jesus yet. Didn't your Messiah need to die for the sins of the world? Didn't he need to be humiliated by the Pharisees? Didn't he need to be rejected? Didn't he need to take on the sins of the world and take him through scripture after scripture after scripture? And what's going on is he's revealing what, like why they're being foolish, why they're like why they're stopping in their tracks and they're not walking, why they're disappointed. It's because it's partly because they haven't been looking at their situation in light of the promises of God. Is it possible that maybe some people in here are slowing down in their walk or stopping their walk altogether because you have forgotten the promises of God? They're like, the story's over. And Jesus is right in front of them. They can't even see him. Saying the story's not over. Don't forget it. These, the scriptures, the word of God, the promises of God remain. I have to wear glasses if I take these off. I, I just see a, now a sea of actually beautiful faces. And uh, no, I'm kidding. I, I can't see much. And then I'm also colorblind on top of it. So I just have all these issues seeing. And my father-in-law got me these new glasses. They're awesome. They're sunglasses, but they're corrective. They correct um, my colorblindness. So I can see, I, I think I can see more of the colors that most of you see. And they also are like prescriptions. So I can also see like this, like everything's crisp and good, but I see colors. Like the, I saw moss for the first time with the, my colorblind glasses, and it was amazing. I had worked as a, a lawn care guy at early college, and I never understood why people would come out and be like, oh, got to get all the moss out of the lawn, and it's messing up the grass. And I'd look at it, and the moss and the grass just <laughs> looked the same to me. And then I put on these glasses for the first time a few months ago, and for the first time, I neon green like, it doesn't look like grass at all. I was like, that looks horrible. My lawn looks horrible. <laughs> the world, it's, it's changed. And now, like, I can see the green on, on, um, in, in intersections when I'm looking at the lights. Like, green pops out where it was just this, like, real um, milky green. Now it's just, like, bright green. And I can see the red. So now I'm going when I'm supposed to go and I'm stopping. <laughs> I mean, it's changed my life and probably saved many others. But like when I put the glasses on, like the world changes. The scriptures are to be the, the lenses by which we see the world. The Pharisees had turned 
the Bible into something they just were staring at. You ever driven with somebody and they're not looking through the windshield, they're looking at the windshield? Like, one time I was driving with my grandma and she's like looking at all the bugs on the windshield. I'm like, Grandma, look at the road. She's like, but there's so many bugs. She was looking at the windshield and that's not helping because the windshield is designed to be looked through. The scriptures are designed to be looked through to see what God is doing, to see his promises being fulfilled in front of us. And that was the problem with the, the, the Pharisees is that they, they were so busy looking at the glasses or looking at the windshield that they couldn't even see the promises of God in front of them. Jesus was in front of the Pharisees and they didn't even recognize that it was the son of God. And now Jesus' disciples are hitting disappointment and they've stopped walking. And they have the promises of God, but they've got the glasses off. And they don't even see the Son of God in front of them, the one they know. I want to remind you to put on the lenses, the power of Scripture, the power of the promises of God. Because the story, when we think the story is over, God always says, no, no, no. The story isn't over until I say it's over. So you've got to get back walking. Another interesting thing, though, a lot of times people stop here and they say, like, uh, I know famous preachers and teachers, and they'll say, man, and so if we just know the scriptures, then we will see Jesus. And then we'll understand. And the scriptures are all about Jesus. Yes. And they're all pointing to him. Yes. But if we want to take the scriptures seriously, we actually have to read them and know what they're saying. Knowing the scriptures inspired the disciples. It, it like, set their, their hearts on fire. They were just... But they didn't see Jesus yet. Isn't that interesting? So how do they see Jesus? If we were to keep moving in verse 28, it says, um, it says this, they came near the village where they were going and Jesus gave the impression that he was going to go further, keep walking. But they urged him, stay with us. Stay with us. Because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. And so, you know what he did? He went and stayed with them. They said, stay with us. And he stayed with them. Verse 30, it says that as he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. If you are the one breaking the bread, that means that you've been put in the seat of honor in this culture. They honored him. They said, stay with us. And then they honored him. They didn't want him to keep going on his own. They, there was something about him. They were just like, stay with They still haven't recognized him. But they want him to come in, so he's coming with them. And then it says in the seat of honor that he uh, takes the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke it, and then he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. But then he disappeared from their sight. It's gone. And that Jesus Jedi thing that he does. And they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he was talking with us on the road, on the journey, and he got us back walking again and explained the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning within us? Like, they, they were inspired, they were ready, but they didn't see Jesus until he took the bread, broke the bread, blessed it, and gave it. And that, I think in that moment, all of a sudden, their minds were awakened and they remembered when he fed the 5,000, he took the bread, 
And he blessed it, and he broke it, and then he gave it. That was a powerful symbol. Like, that's a Jesus thing. And then they would remember like the upper room and all the, the, the disciples and the people that they knew had been with Jesus, and he, and he took the bread, and he blessed the bread, and he uh, broke it and gave it. I think uh, all of a sudden they're like, oh. And they saw him. And what we have to remember, friends, is this really important thing. None of this would have happened. They wouldn't have seen Jesus. They wouldn't have known that was him unless they said, stay with us. Unless they had practiced hospitality, they wouldn't have known Jesus was there. They would not have seen him. So this is really, really important. And it gets, I think it gets missed a lot. But in the scripture, Luke is teaching us this. This is all throughout the book of Luke. Unless we love our neighbor, that unless we practice scripture and do what it says, unless we do what Jesus has told us, we, we, we will not know when Jesus is fully present in front of us. Is it possible that you've, you're disappointed and you've stopped walking because you don't feel or see Jesus in things, you know, feels presence? Is it possible because maybe you've stopped remembering or believing in the promises of God? And even more, is it possible that maybe you've stopped loving others and asking other people, the stranger, the one that you don't know, taking the time to say, hey, stay with me, stay with us is such a powerful, like, hospitality invitation. It's be with us, have fun with us, share life with us. I I just think it's so crucial to know that. And unless we are interpreting Scripture and doing Scripture, we don't really understand Scripture. It's like watching a video about something like surgery and then watching it and being like, all right, I'm good to go. I can go do some surgery. Unless you listen to the words of Scripture and do them, listen to the words of Jesus and do them, you don't really understand. Interpretation is not complete until you've actually done it. Are you with me? This is so important. I think it's like the difference between, um, I think it's the difference between hearing something like, we're going to be a church that's a hospital for people who are sick, and being like, yes, and being pumped up in our hearts, being like, yes, that's, and that's, that's what Jesus taught, right? Like, we're to, to be a hospital and help the sick. That's what we're about. We're not a fashion show. We're a hospital. And just being filled with, like, fire, but never going to the emergency room, <laughs> to actually be with people who are sick. Never letting people who have messed up lives come into our church. Never going to a, a party where there's guacamole and sinners. It's, that's the difference. It's the difference between, like, I think so many Christians will be one or the other. They'll be doing, doing, doing all these things and never looking at the promises of God and never looking at their surroundings and saying, hey, are these glasses helping inform the reality that I live in? But there's some Christians that are just looking at the Bible, looking at the Bible, looking at the Bible so much that they're not seeing Jesus at work because they're not doing what the Bible's asked them to do. They're, they're, they're watching all the videos, but they're not like learning how to, to actually heal people, be part of the healing process. Um. At the walk-off at Michael's house, which was fantastic, people were hanging out conversations were happening. Uh, new people I'd never seen were there. I mean, perhaps you were even a new person. This is your first time here. So glad you are. And, 
it was just so cool. But Mike um, was welcoming people and bringing people in. But in, in this, when, when things were really going and there's music and it was like at the height of the party and you can tell it's really good when there's laughter and it's so loud you have to like yell to talk to each other. At the height of the party, like there were two older guys that were standing out there. And they were watching. They'd helped set up. And they'd been talking with people. That they just kind of took a time out. And they were kind of just observing the party for a second. The older guys. Been Christians a long time. And I went up and talked with them a bit. And I, as I was walking away, I was like, how easy could it have been for guys like that to look in and be like, oh, look at all these young people. Because one of them was real old. You know who you were. Now he... <laughs> After the last sermon, he's like, I feel like I need to get a walker. And I was like, we'll buy you one. Um, he's, so these older guys are looking in at the party. How easy would it have been just to be like, this is just young people. This is just guacamole. It's just an excuse for people to hang out. There's nothing that important going on. Or, you know, judging, this doesn't feel spiritual to me. How easy would it have been to misinterpret that, the, that what was actually happening in that situation, that there was life in the kingdom of God and God's spirit was at work and there's people with messed up lives and hurting and people who aren't sharing what's really going on, but in the midst of it, there's like this Jesus thing happening. Like the one who, who broke the bread and gave the wine the one, is the one who is known to be a glutton and a drunk. And he says, whenever you eat and drink, whenever you're eating chips, maybe having guacamole, do this in remember, remembrance of the glutton and the drunk. The one who was willing to bring the kingdom of God in the midst of sinners. The one who was willing to put himself at risk and absorb the sickness of the sick through the cross. Remember me. And I love that those guys, as they were sitting out there watching, it was not with judgment, it was with joy seeing the kingdom of God come amongst us. I want to get really practical with you guys. Let's finish with these few practical things. Um, this is how we get walking again. This is how we grow. And I, I, I want you guys to know hospitality is opening your heart, it's opening your life, and it's opening your eyes. Those disciples, when they were on the walk, they were going and they were, just, they were arguing, they were low, and then they get asked a question, why are you guys arguing, why are you so low? And they stopped walking. But they kept their hearts open enough to begin walking with this stranger. See, hospitality started with a walk, and it ended with a meal. I love this story. Their hearts were open enough to receive a stranger, even though they were hurting. Hospitality is opening your heart. Opening your heart. When you open your heart, it opens your life. Remember they said, stay with us. And Jesus stayed with them. They showed hospitality. They loved their neighbor. In the midst of that, the story of the Good Samaritan, where the, the, there's a guy who go, walking along a road to Jerusalem or from Jerusalem, and, and all of a sudden he gets beat up, thrown on the side of the road, and one religious person walks by, sees him, doesn't do anything. Another religious person walks by, doesn't see anything. And the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, sees the hurting person and does what? Heals him, helps him, meets his need, and shows hospitality and brings him to a hospital. It's loving your neighbor. When we open our hearts, we love our neighbors. And we open our lives to them. And when we open our lives to the stranger... 
There's something mystical, something spiritual, something amazing about when you sit and have a meal with somebody, when you sit and you get to know them, when you sit and you love them, and you somehow show hospitality, the presence of Christ is there, and our eyes are opened. Open your hearts. Open your lives. And let God open your eyes to the kingdom. Amen? Now my challenge for you, friends, is to open your hearts. Open your lives. Like, be hospitable. Who, like, invite somebody over this week. Invite them over to your home. Invite them into your life. And I know some people are like, George, you haven't seen my house, or you don't know my family. You know, some of you guys, you don't realize, or that costs money. And, you know, that's, that's something we don't do in our family. <laughs> Hospitality does cost us something. Like, Jesus kind of, like, dined and then dashed, didn't he? In that story, he's like, It's me! And then, poof, he's gone. They're like, oh, it's Jesus, but the bill, you know? But it's Jesus, but it's the bill. I want to encourage you with this. Open your life. Invite somebody out. Show hospitality this week. Imagine what our church could be, what our community could be to this community if we became known as a place of hospitality where we say, stay with us. We're generous. We love our neighbors. Imagine what could happen. Imagine what like, God would do in your life. Imagine like maybe you have slowed down in your walk and you're thinking about quitting. Those of you who have actually quit, if you like, looked up and you opened your heart and you, and, you, and, and you saw Jesus and you started looking back at the promises of God and you began like loving your neighbor and, and you started seeing and feeling the presence of God, maybe places you never thought you would, and it may be a place where there's guacamole and chips or maybe your house that's a mess or your house that's so perfect no one can like walk on the carpet. I mean, you've got it, like you've, you've raked the, the carpet so well that you, know, you don't want anybody to put their footprint on that thing. And the tension for some people to invite people into their lives and their homes is they either live a life in a house that's a museum or it's a zoo. It's like perfect and they don't want anything to mess it up or it's so crazy they're embarrassed to invite anybody over or they're somewhere in between. But friends, people aren't looking to hang out at a zoo. Like they don't, they don't care that they don't care if it's a museum. They just want to be with somebody. They want to have, be with someone who's normal and build a relationship and find out that you're not that normal and they're not that normal. That's okay. Invite someone into your life. This week, have someone over. And don't apologize for the, you know, all, you know, all the issues with the house or the imperfection. Or don't like, you know, just sit there staring and cringing if they're walking on your carpet wrong. Their kids are spilling stuff. I have friends, you know, like when they had pe- people over for the first time and they were learning the way of hospitality, the way of Jesus. They were just like watching kids run around their house. Just like, no, don't sit there. Ah, that's peanut butter and jelly. I don't want, th-. you know, and it's. Learning that, like, all that stuff doesn't matter. Like, those things are just tools to, so that God can use your life, so that you can use them to reach people and love them. Show hospitality, friends. Show hospitality. Open your hearts. Finish with these two thoughts. One, opening your heart is these three things. You, can, you might want to write this down. It's noticing somebody it's feeling for somebody and it's responding notice feel and respond you can't open your heart if you don't like notice 
If there's somebody asking a question or somebody who's alone or somebody who's wanting to like join the journey of your life. Maybe they don't even know it. Notice them. Feel for them. And it could be, they could be going through hard things or just regular life. But learn to feel for others and then respond. That's opening your heart. That's showing compassion. And sometimes it's that simple. And when you, when you open your life, Jesus things happen. Sometimes people don't. They, we, we lift up Bible as the only discipline and practice. When in fact it needs to be matched with hospitality, love of neighbor, and obedience to what the scriptures say. And then our eyes will be opened. May your eyes be opened this week. May you notice. May you feel. May you respond. Open your heart. Open your life. Over and over and over again. Who are you going to invite over? And if you can't do that and you're like, I, it's too much for me this week. Invite someone out to dinner. And if you can, pay for them. You're like, oh, I mean, I've got money's tight. And this guy, pay for him, man. Pay for, be generous. Disciples didn't make Jesus pay for him. He, I guess he, they couldn't. But pay for him. Be generous. Be hospitable. See what God does. See if He opens your eyes. See how He opens your life, and open your heart. Amen. That's what I have for you guys. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Lord, I know that there's, there are such hospitable people here. And Lord, I pray that today they would know that what they do is, is so special and close to your heart. Lord, Jesus came with the art of hospitality. And the Spirit works through hospitality. Lord, I pray if there's people here who have forgotten your word and they've forgotten the, just the, the, the weight and the importance of the lens of Scripture to understand our reality. Lord, would you bring them back to the promises of your Spirit? Would you bring them into a place where they can open their heart again? Lord, there are people here who have stopped walking or they've been slowing down. Maybe they've been Christians for a long time. Maybe people haven't even noticed it, but they know it. Their heart, they've been slowing down. Lord, would you get them walking again? Would you fire their hearts up? Would you open their eyes? And would you help them bless others so people can experience acceptance that comes through hospitality, truth that comes through hospitality, joy that comes through hospitality, love and life and relationship through hospitality. And yes, Lord, your presence that comes through hospitality. In Jesus' name, amen.